Exodus chapter 1, if you would. It's been fabulous hearing uh, testimonies as we did the other day about uh, how people have come along and again this morning. And um, I wanted to perhaps emphasize a particular point this morning about patience. Um, and maybe a little reminder that when we're preaching the gospel, that we're working with God. And um, it's great fun when you meet somebody and maybe you go on an outreach and somebody listens to you straight away when they come along. Or even if it's somebody in your family and you've just come to the Lord and they come along as well, you know, and they, they rush in. But there's probably a lot more people that take a little bit before they actually land. And just as we've heard in various testimonies here, um, I don't know if you picked that up, but there was a, a bit went on before finally these people have come to the Lord. And you can sort of look at the people who, those people who've been described now and think, you know, that, that because they love it so much now, that they grabbed it straight away. But as we hear, um, you know, particularly that last one there with uh, Brian Allen kicking and screaming, really, uh, to come. And, um, and, but he knows how long it takes and he's persistent and patient with other people because he remembers what it was like for him. And I just want to perhaps uh, use a Bible story to make a bit of a comparison uh, with this, and it's the story of Moses. And uh, we'll start in Exodus chapter 1. And it wasn't a good time for uh, Moses' family and for all their tribes and nations. Well, they weren't a nation yet, but their their uh, people. And um, in verse 15, And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was uh, Shifra, and the name of the other Pua, and he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew woman, women and you see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him, but if it be a daughter, then she shall live. Now what midwife could do that? But there was a threat and the king of Egypt wanted to be done with this growing population. He was afraid they were going to be bigger than India. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the growth of some countries... Uh, they uh, they grow very well, and he was he was concerned here about these people that they were uh, becoming very big, and um, and so uh, he set about to do this. But the midwives, it says in verse seventeen, but the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. Now, the enemy of God, the devil, um, and his servants love shutting down the people of God. And the same thing we read of was done in the time of Jesus when he was born, that Herod sent out the message. He wanted all those babies wiped out. He wanted to make sure that this promise that there might be a Messiah coming, that that wouldn't be happening under his watch. And um, But, of course, God's bigger than the leaders of this world. They just don't know that. And in chapter 2 we pick it up 
And there was a, went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him for an ark of, uh, for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. Now, this is a pretty testing time for a mother. She's got this three-month-old. You imagine your three-month-old? You probably don't even like to leave it in the caravan on its own. But this is just going into, a, into the creek on its own in a little container and it's just going to float down the creek. And, and, and the mother's sort of not knowing what the future of this child is going to be, but she's obviously, like any mother, got great hopes for this child and, and what, what might come. But the story, of course, as the Bible has wonderful, unique stories, um, in verse 4, and his sister stood afar off wondering what would be done to him because... Here's her little brother, you know. She might not have always wanted a little brother, but at the moment she's sort of feeling pretty sorry for him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river and her maidens walked along by the river's side and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child and behold, the the babe wept and she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? What a smart little girl. And so Pharaoh's daughter would have known what was going on, the elimination of these children, that this was a little escapade. And so what she should have done was made sure that this child was delivered to the king, uh, the Pharaoh, and that we'll wipe this child out because that's, that's the intentions at the moment. But, but as the Lord would have it, her heart is softened. And even though she's not of the Lord herself. And in verse 8, And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee wages, give thy, thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. So here she is, a captive in the country. She's got a child that she's not supposed to have. She's now going to get paid to bring it up. That's not a bad answer to prayer. And in verse 10, And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew one of his brethren. So he's a bit of a confused young man because he's had two educations. He's had his mother telling him who the God of their people is and this God that would do miracles in their life and she's already seen a miracle to have this child and she would have told him the story and he would have known how precious his life was and that he was saved from something uh, that could have been his death. And and she would have prayed with him. It would have been a part of their life. And they would have talked about the stories of God with his people. And then he goes into Pharaoh's house, Pharaoh's daughter's house, and he hears of the 
the gods of the pyramids, of a completely different, highly educated, highly powerful society where he is going to be somebody raised up special in that society and because he's Pharaoh's daughter's son, adopted son. And so there's a future being laid out for him, a career, an incredible life but with different mannerisms, different beliefs, different teachings. So he's got on the one hand one set of teachings from his mother, his birth mother, and he's got another education that's completely different fighting against that and he's got the two things going on within him. And so when he grows up, he doesn't really know who he is. But uh, he comes out and we, we see here that he sees an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew and he thinks, well, that shouldn't happen. And when, with his sense of authority from where he has been brought up, I can do something about this because I'm in the royal family. And in verse 12, it says, He looks this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now I dare say he looked every bit an Egyptian. His clothing would have been quality clothing. He would have had the best linen or whatever that they, they had. And, um, and he, he would have looked a prince. And he came out to people who had nothing in their poverty, in their, their enslaved way. And so they wouldn't have recognized a brother, but they would have seen a prince. And he came in and, and they're sort of, whoa, mayday, you're not, uh, you're not having your way with us. And so while his heart was there, his dress and his manner was somewhere else. And he wasn't doing it God's way, he was doing it in his own strength. Because at this stage, he didn't really know who he was. Um, let's go to chapter 3 and in verse 1. So Moses uh, then does a runner. I don't, think, don't know if I read that bit. Verse 15, it says, uh, Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. He sat down by a well. So he, 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 goes, he, he leaves that fantastic life living in the, the courts of the Pharaoh and, uh, and just he's so confused, I don't know what my purpose in life is, who I'm supposed to be. Off he goes out into the wilderness. And in verse 1, Now Moses kept the flo flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not hither, and not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. 
And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And he starts to call Moses. He starts to have a relationship with Moses. And Moses here, for the first time in his life, is going to find out who he really is with this very personal experience. And if we can maybe liken it, and I wonder whether we are being given a little bit of a picture here of the New Testament, of, uh, of, of us, maybe we can liken ourselves uh, in this story to Moses in some way or other, where uh, we've all got our different stories. Um, but maybe I might compare perhaps some who have grown up in this fellowship where their, their mother, their father, have had great hopes for them and maybe uh, seen a miracle occur to their child very early on. Maybe the child couldn't be born but was born by a miracle. And the mother's hopes were great for the child, but then the child gets another education. It goes to school. And in comes all the offerings of the world, the gods of the world, or the godlessness of the world. And 30 hours a week, our children are presented to the gods of this world, the mannerisms of this world, the hopes and dreams of this world. And meanwhile, mum and dad are trying to say something at home that is in conflict to that. And the child is having to work out, who am I really? Where do I fit in? How do I take on uh, the matters that are, that are going on here? And, uh, and we, we hope and pray for our children that some great thing is going to uh, come their way. But we have to wait. You know, we put in the good things, but we have to wait. And Moses' mother here had to wait a long time, a long time, while her son was in confusion, and she didn't see him. Probably wondered what had happened to him. He's gone. He's gone so far, so far away. Will I ever see him again? But in the meantime, Moses all of a sudden comes across this bush that is burning, but not like the fire that Sam Pierce was telling us about the other day. It didn't sort of take off. This fire didn't consume the bush. And doesn't that sound like the Holy Ghost? The fire that comes within us, that is the power of God, it is so powerful that it has put the universe in place and it doesn't consume us. Isn't that an amazing thing that that should happen to us? And so Moses stands here in a sense having his Holy Ghost experience in a type. And all of a sudden it's just him and God for real. And and he starts to be challenged by the things that God is saying because, of course, his heart is back with his people and what could he do? But he'd done a runner from it. And now he was going to get assistance in how to do it better. And uh, we find that he's a bit unsure about himself. We'll just have a look over in chapter 4 and in verse 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore. That's a pretty eloquent word. Um, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. He could actually speak King James English. He was pretty well trained. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. 
And the Lord said unto him, Who has made man's mouth? Have you checked out the manual of uh, how you were made? Who or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? So I gave you the ability to speak, which is an amazing thing. Dogs don't speak. Some of you might be very close to your dogs, but they don't speak. Um, occasionally a donkey can speak. We've read that in the Bible, but usually not. But we speak. It is an amazing thing. He says, but I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. So I'll take your speech to another level. And and so Moses, in all of his insecurity, um, God was saying, don't worry about that. I will be with you. Um, and uh, if we can also just go to Numbers chapter 12, just to perhaps finish off this little bit of the story. And in verse 3, just the one verse there, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. I was just thinking about this in the light of what we've just been reading, that Moses didn't show himself that way when he first came out and and killed a man and then when he wanted to sort out another problem. But after he's had his experience with God and sees the power of God and the connection he has with him, maybe that's why we're now reading later on that we've now got a meek man. Something has happened to him. Pastor Phil was talking last night about the Apostle John, who we know was a very softened man. But earlier on it talks about uh, James and John, the sons of thunder. <laughs> Something happened to him that came, came over him and, and changed him. And I believe that Moses became much more effective, not only because of having had this personal relationship with God, but of not fighting within himself anymore, that this meekness came over him, that I'm now working with God. And this is not, this, this thing that is going to happen of these people's lives being changed, it's not going to be my power that does it. It's going to be his power. He wants me to work with him and for him, but I'm just assisting. I'm not the main element here. He's the main element. And if we just go to the New Testament, to uh, Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist, uh, just speaking here in verse 11, he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me, meaning Jesus, is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And just thinking a bit, little bit about it, that when Moses first had this experience with God, he said he couldn't speak. And so things sort of, uh, in a way, remained a little dormant within him. But when we see him go to, Mo to Pharaoh and he does start to speak, we find something really comes alive in him. And he starts to work with, in a sense, the Holy Ghost. He starts to work with God. And, and now he's, he's up against the Pharaoh of this immense country, this immense nation that is still seen now historically as one of the great nations of all time. And Moses is there coming to represent all the refugees 
that want to get out and he's got a pretty unhappy job. But somehow he just lifts and lifts and lifts and you just watch him grow in strength as he opens his mouth. And I, I just uh, wonder whether that's an important part of how the Holy Ghost works. Um, I think uh, some of these little instantaneous hot water services, I should have checked with Pato about this one, but they, the, the way I remember them working is that they would have a little pilot light in them and that would just stay on there. But once you would turn your tap on, then all of a sudden the flame gets stronger. Is that sort of how it works? Roughly. Sort of. Okay. I'm sure there's a lot more plumbing to that than just what I explained. But I, I, my, I guess my picture out of that, uh, if that's a right or wrong comparison, uh, is that we have this Holy Ghost within us and when we open our mouth, something just stirs. And it's like the, the little flame becomes a big flame. Have you ever been with somebody and you, you find yourself in a position where you're sitting there and uh, something they're saying is just saying to you inside, I've got to say something here. I've got to say something. And there's almost like a nervous excitement that comes on you. And I've had it where I sort of always break out into a cold sweat. There's, it's just something's just sort of busting to go. And when you do, and you find yourself all of a sudden saying things that you didn't think you could say, and you quote scriptures, and a testimony will come to mind, and reasoning in a level-headed way with people, it, it just sort of wisdom comes. And that's not us. You know, you can sit back and think, well, aren't I good? But that's not us. That's the Holy Ghost. And we, we've got some, some great choruses we sing. You know, the fire is burning in my soul. The fire is burning in my soul. The flame of glory maketh whole. Hallelujah, it's burning in my soul. Another one, O Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. Send a revival, start the work in me. And, and as we allow that, that fire to sort of really take hold by opening our mouth, then it's not about how good we are at speaking to somebody. That just doesn't enter into it at all. Because here today, you know, we've got many of us who once upon a time did not have the gift of the gab, but we are developing it. And, and it changes the more we allow the Holy Ghost to work in us. And we might say, I can't do this and I can't do that. I can't give my testimony. I can't operate the voice gifts. I can't witness to somebody. I can't, I can't, I can't, just like Moses. But, but then as we allow the Holy Ghost, we find ourselves getting an inner confidence. You know, we heard Cam Webber talking about in his testimony the anxiety he had as a young man, a very desperate anxiety where sometimes he just had to go home from where he was. And we look at this young brother now and something has come alive in him that has now given him an inner confidence, an inner strength to be able to speak where he couldn't speak before. And, and, and that's where the glory goes to, to God who has made us able uh, in all things. Um, and, um, I suppose I maybe, uh, go to another scripture. Um, let's go to Mark chapter five. 
and reading from verse 15. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart, sorry, they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was coming to the ship, this is Jesus, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. He wanted to follow Jesus. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee and has had compassion on thee. And I guess that uh, there's no doubt that our, our friends, a, a bit like we saw with Moses, are the people we first want to save, our friends, our family. Um, and eventually Moses was able to go back and do just that, the thing that he never imagined that he could do in his own strength. Um, but it, um, it takes us being filled with the Holy Ghost and it takes us being ready to speak. Those things are, are just so important. I remember uh, uh, growing up in the Church of Christ as I did and uh, I heard a bit about people um, going different places and preaching the gospel and I did actually have a desire for it. Um, but I could I could never come up with anything to say because I hadn't had the experience with God. And so I sort of, uh, back being a teenager, the only thing I could offer my mates to come to church was that there were some nice girls there. So it wasn't sort of the most spiritual uh, approach to uh, get people along. Um, and it took me... You know, until I got filled with the Holy Ghost and then the words started to come and, and, and it, it wasn't a hard thing. And, and I wanted to, to talk to, um, to those who were near me. And one of the first ones I spoke to was my brother, not my brother Tom, my other brother. And, uh, I met him in the city and I felt like just grabbing him by the collars and saying, you have got to come. You know, cause that wasn't me. There was something in me, and and I guess I had to learn how to handle that fire that that came up from within, and um, and he did come. He came down here. Sadly, he didn't stay around, and uh, um, that's another story. But um, but on the other hand, my brother Tom did come, and I guess this is where I just want to emphasise this point about patience. Um, that. I know my mother and my father were particularly patient and uh, they just uh, took opportunity when they could to talk to Tom and Robin. And what had happened, first of all, when I went and spoke to Tom, uh, I went and helped him build a pergola at his house out at West Lakes and I thought, well, if I'm building with him for a few days, I'll have a really good chance to, to talk to him and, and he might feel a little kindly towards me because I'm helping him, but uh, none of that worked. Um, so uh, we, uh, we ended up sort of, sh I shared my testimony with him and, and I felt like the whatever they have at Fort Knox to close the doors, I felt that's what came down really solidly. He did not want to hear another single word from me and he was my older brother, so I felt a tad intimidated. Um, 
back then. I'm sort of getting over that now. <laughs> we're friends. Um, and um, But my parents were patient and they would spend time and just put a little bit in here and a little bit there and little did we know how much Tom was searching, but he just wouldn't tell us. And quietly he was searching the church we had come out of and getting in, asking people this, asking people that, and uh, and eventually he met a guy who was spirit-filled. Tom got spirit-filled himself. Ends up in a in a little Pentecostal group, and uh, and and fortunately they did all the things that made him really uncomfortable. It was great. I, I love what happened. You know how careful Tom is with the quartet. He gets everything in place. Well, some of the things he had to endure in this little group was that they would all get together. They stand around in the circle. They would hold hands. He would love that bit. And somebody would make up a, a, a verse to a chorus and then the next person would have to make up the next verse and the next one would make up the next verse. I can only imagine Tom sweating like crazy. I wish I was there to see it. And then uh, in, the, in the meeting, they, uh, they started trying to sing in tongues and he said... Uh, Nobody really knew what they were doing. The band didn't know what they were doing. They were sort of, one was going this way, one was going that way. And all of a sudden, some bold person in the audience starts up singing and everybody sort of tries to follow them. Again, Tom, it would have driven him crazy, you know, that level of disorganization with music. And, uh, and uh, serves him right for not coming with us a whole lot earlier. So six years down the track after he has put himself through hell, um, he finally comes to heaven and uh, and comes along uh, having heard testimonies from mum and dad and knowing that this was j- just something he couldn't find anywhere else. But I- I'm just so glad that mum and dad in particular were, were patient with him. And uh, I'm just reminded too, I asked Pastor Graham to come up here, Pastor Brian gave his t- testimony earlier in camp, um, but the friendship that was there because they had a common interest in dogs. Uh, later on, when all of a sudden Anne was very sick in hospital, as you've heard, then it was Graham that Brian came to, to, to look after the dogs. And the, the opening came and, and Pastor Graham had, had already established a friendship. And it, it, it had taken a little bit of time and they'd wanted to say a bit in, say a bit there. But all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost gave the opportunity and, and it was seen. The opportunity was seen, it was taken and the ears finally were open. And, and Brian says that if you'd told me any earlier, I wouldn't have been interested. The door would have been closed. I wouldn't have heard you. And so, so there, there is so much in, in, uh, I guess, um, relationships with people that can be helpful. It's not the whole, the whole deal, but, but it is helpful. And, you know, here we're reading that, that Jesus is saying to him, go to your friends. Go there first. Later in another passage, he says, if your friends don't listen, then go out into the highways and byways. But go to our friends, spend time with them, see what we can do with our neighbors, invite them round, chat. Eventually the topic will come up by itself. And you think, well, can I say any more today? Maybe not. Maybe I'll say a bit more another time and we'll pray about it. Lord, help us to do this. In PNG, Pastor Godfrey has, uh, has got a, um, as we know, a lot of revival, but you, you might picture it as though all of a sudden on the streets people are just lining up 
But if you go to a rally there, you'll actually find that people are bringing their neighbours from villages right across the country. They'll bring them in ships, boats, trucks, walk. They bring their friends with them. And they will come all that way just to get baptised in Spirit-filled and then they go all the way back with them because they've been working on these people and here all of a sudden there's an occasion they bring them to. In China we have a situation where they can't go out onto the streets because if they do, there's a fair chance they'll get stopped. So what we've uh, sort of worked out to do there is to just have house meetings and uh, it's not raising the alarm with anybody. They just quietly meet in their apartments. And what do they do? They talk to their friends, their family, their neighbours, their workmates. Say, come to my house. We've got something on tonight. And it's a very powerful way. And I believe that, um, you know, the... It, it, it's worth us thinking as an assembly as we are about to go into the new year that, you know, we probably got a thousand people here. Now, we can have our outreaches and we do, and hallelujah, they're fine. And you get 20 or 30 people go out in an outreach and it's good. But let's remember that the most powerful thing we have is 1,000 people every day on the job. You know, we heard Julie Sinclair talking about when she was at work in her patch. It was her patch. And she used her career. So Julie wanted to study in this particular area. Remember the great joy she had in achieving it. And so she's got herself a good job, but she doesn't want the job as opposed to the Lord. She's taken it and said, I want the Lord with me here. And the Lord has helped me to get here and now I want to take him with me into my job. And so now she's getting opportunity and, and, uh, you know, she's got a sister there with her in the Lord that, you know, working together and it's a, it's a wonderful way to be. And we, so I think it's a good sign of a healthy assembly that wherever we are, we're just saying, Lord, today, who are you going to put in front of me? I did something uh, myself just recently where I, I was just finding I was just getting too busy with other things, practical things in the assembly and maybe worrying about this and worrying about that. And, um, and I thought, oh, Lord, I just want to be back at the grassroots of talking to people to get them saved. I'd just like to have a bit more time with that. And um, I, uh, I hopped on a plane to go to Singapore and I, I actually, I booked it very late and I got the very back row in the plane, row 60. I wasn't sure if that was actually still on the plane, but it was there. And I couldn't seem to get anything else. And when I turned up at the, uh, the airport, I asked if they were, un- and actually, no, they, they had actually shifted me for some reason. They'd made it a lot easier for me now. They put me in the middle of the middle bank with my long legs. And uh, I said, is there any chance you might have something with a bit of leg room? They said, ask at the gate. So I didn't know you could do that. And I went to the gate and said, you got anything? And they had one seat left with extra leg room. So I go and sit down there and, and another guy comes in and his family is sort of along in the middle section. He's sitting next to me. And, uh, and as I often do, I just sort of make a bit of small talk and ask a person about, you know, their job and their family in the hope that they will return the favour. And he did. And he said, so what do you do for a job? 
I said, well, and, and it's not always pop a popular answer, this in Australia, but I said to him, I'm a pastor. He said, oh. He said, I might have some questions for you. I thought, well, we've got seven and a half hours ahead of us. <laughs> so I just let it come. I didn't ask him. We just chatted, and then the questions started to come. We went for four hours, two and a half hours at the beginning, an hour and a half at the end, and... The, it was the quickest flight I've ever been on. And then the, the great thing was I'd flown out of Melbourne and he was from Melbourne and on my way home I decided to drop in a couple of days into Geelong and I rang him when I got home and he just, I knew when he was getting home. I said, would you like to catch up? He said, yeah. He says, I'll drive to Geelong. I said, no, 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 I'll meet you halfway. He said, no, I'd love to go for a drive down to Geelong. So he comes down, we go down by the waterfront and he just wants to talk. And he takes me out on the pier. We go walking out, out on the pier there at the waterfront. He's looking for a place to pray, a quiet spot where nobody else is, but he couldn't find a place to sit. So we come all the way back and we go into the park where there's more people, but there's a park bench, and we sat there and we prayed. And I'm going, this is where I want to be. Now, it's not finished yet. And I don't know how much more it's going to take. I rang him the other day. He's still talking. But that is often how it works, as we know. And the Lord will keep giving us the words to say. But what we're hoping for and waiting for and praying for is, as the Scriptures say, that the Holy Ghost will convict them. That's what we need. Not that we're too so smart that we can talk them into it. It's that the Holy Ghost will convict them. And it might be something we didn't even think we said that will get them. And, and, and all of a sudden, uh, the Lord is doing a wonderful thing in their life. I better look at something to finish on. Maybe just uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 3, first of all, and then chapter 11. First of all, chapter 3, verse 11. I might just read this out of the Amplified. He has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Yet man cannot find out, comprehend or grasp what God has done, his overall plan from the beginning to the end. Now, evolutionists can say what they like, but a dog is only looking for its next meal. We are different. We have an, a sense of the divine purpose. That's why people make gods. We have a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy. That's what's in human beings. That's what's in your school friends. That's what's in your family. That's what's in your workmates. And it says here, they, and man cannot find out or comprehend or grasp what God has done from the beginning to the end. And they search here and they search there and they cannot find it. And as Renee was saying up here the other day, that we have the words of life and there are souls that are longing for it, as this scripture tells us. And just to finish in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, in verse 5, As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou, thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for then thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Now, I thought our middle brother 
was the one that was going to be in our fellowship. But I got it wrong. It was my eldest brother that came. And I'm just glad that the seed was sown. And, you know, when we're speaking to people, you might be speaking to this person, but it's that one over there that's paying attention. And let us really believe in the effectiveness of personal witnessing so that we go with confidence that we, uh, maybe we were or maybe we weren't, our mother's hope to arrive at this point. But we certainly are God's hope to arrive at this point. And, and he wants us to fulfill our purpose. I hope if you're under 20 years old that you're really seeking for this purpose. I hope if you're between 20 and 40 that you're fulfilling this purpose. I hope if you're 40 to 60 and you need a new chapter in your life that it's still fulfilling this purpose but maybe it's just got a slight change to it. Don't go for a middle life crisis. I hope if you're 60 plus that you, you want to make the last days count, however many you got, with our great purpose here in life. I've just given a short future to a few people, have I? <laughs> the Lord's going to come back and surprise us all soon. All the people said, Amen. Amen. 